Fashion Emergency Hotline. Help! I got rid of all my clothes. Breathe and explain. During Fashion Week, everyone looked fantastic, so I decided I needed a new wardrobe. Well, strut to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yes, they have gorgeous floral tops and super on-trend pixie pants to turn your sidewalk into a catwalk. And pixie pants are just $25. 25 bucks? That's right. Starting tomorrow, all pants and tops at Old Navy are 30 to 50% off. 30 to 50% off? Amazing. Thank you. Don't thank me. Thank Old Navy. Valid 915 to 923. Excludes denim and active pants. Love Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Chuck Moore speaks here at the Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining me. We are waiting for my guest, Peter Palermolo. He is the editor of BeThere.com, America's foremost authority. He is one of America's foremost authority on issues of immigration. He's often been referred to as a major leader of the alt-right movement. Although his expertise on the issue of immigration, national identity, and political correctness long precedes both the term and the movement. Um, This came to my attention mainly because a couple of weeks back, Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton delivered a speech where she attempted to smear Donald Trump by associating him with this alt-right movement that I had never heard of and that really uh, the first uh, time I'd heard of it was... uh, from Hillary's speech, which um, I found quite infuriating. You know, it reminds me of what um, what Senator Joe McCarthy was accused of doing. You know, so-and-so was seen, you know, in the room uh, at a hotel with a communist in 1951. Aha, you know, and then they get a picture, you know. And, um, you know, that somehow this, this is an association. And, and that's putting aside what the alt-right movement actually is. Apparently, it is a real movement, and um, I want to hear about that from one of the leaders of that movement, Peter Brimelow, um, who uh, is the author of many books. I interviewed Peter years ago on his book on education. And uh, he's, a, he's a British immigrant uh, to the United States via uh, Canada. He knows something about immigration, and he talks about um, the deleterious potential, deleterious effects of immigration on American culture and American and our American ethos and way of life, and does so with with a good deal of uh, bluntness, at least uh, from what what I've heard in the past. Um, so, um, you know, we'll, we'll await his arrival. He should be here any minute. Um, if not, then um, I'm going to have him back because. I'd like to do this one. This is, um, to me, pretty interesting. Uh, let me just see what's going on here. Um, it's, um, well, um, hmm. I don't know what's going on, but uh, anyway, I shall forge forward either way. Um the alt-right movement, it's, you know, I'm kind of at a loss of words because I really don't know anything about it. Um, my, my suspicion is that um, it falls under the category of a comment that I heard Ann Coulter make about Peter Brimelow, and she cited him, where he said that the, um, the racist of today, as it is defined, is really a, um, a conservative who beats a liberal in an argument. I think that there's some truth to that, 
That's not to say that there isn't real racism, of course. There certainly is. But, um, you know, when we're looking at, um, you know, today's day and age when racism in the real sense has receded and when you have um, the black community in, in growing numbers entering the middle class, the upper middle class, the wealthy, you know, the working world, and in spite of leftist uh, policies and ideas, you have to ask yourself what's going on when uh, when the left continues to use this as a bludgeon and that this idea that um, someone can be not only called a racist, as is the case with uh, Donald Trump, but uh, called it in such a way that it is assumed that it's true. Though, of course, he's racist. You know, you hear people in, in positions of responsibility saying this, when in fact it's, it's obviously on face value, a complete lie. There is no evidence that Donald Trump has anything against black men and women or any other group based on their ethnicity. I mean, you you could look at his businesses over the past 30 or 40 years. Is there evidence that he's ever not promoted someone because they're black or he's not hired someone because they're black? No. In fact, Trump is the least racist person that uh, I've seen come down the pike in a long time. He doesn't seem to care at all about a person's race. He's more interested in whether or not a person is successful, and that's who he promotes. So, okay, we are joined by Peter Rivolo. Peter, thank you for joining me this afternoon. Hello, Peter, are you there? All right, speak up, Peter, when you're able. Um, There we go. Let me just see if I can. I might be doing something wrong with a switchboard here. Um, if so, uh, call up or speak up. Maybe call back and we'll try it that way. Um, again, Peter Brimelow is the editor of BeThere.com, America's foremost authority on issues of immigration, often referred to as a major leader of the alt-right movement. Um, let's see if I can click something here and make it happen. Um, Peter, if you're listening, I'm going to ask you to call back, and we'll see if I can do it, do it the old-fashioned way. Um, and, and I think that he is now trying to call in, so that's good news. Here at Blog Talk Radio, where we do this thing essentially online, this isn't the old-fashioned stick when the, you know, the radio waves, you know, it goes out off the, off the airwaves. Back, I mean, this is a, a bludgeon. It's a weapon that's in the hands of the left when they put someone under the microscope and um, and insist that they, um, you know, that, that they, they find a racist cell, you know, with real racism, Jim Crow, you know, discrimination out of the way, that, that's sort of what they've resorted to. Peter, are you there? Thanks for joining me. Hello, Peter. Come in. I see that you're trying to call. I don't know why I can't hear you. But um, speak up. Here we go. Um, Hello, Peter. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, I can there we hear go. You. Thank you so much for joining me. Great. Appreciate you being Sorry on, that. Peter. I... You know, not at all. You know, you came to my attention, Peter, mainly because I had heard Hillary Clinton's comments in the speech about the alt-right movement, which is something that I had not heard of. And then um, I, I also heard Ann Coulter mention, quote you and, and with attribution, uh, when she said that um, she heard you define racism as 
essentially when a conservative wins an argument with a liberal, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty good um, quotation. Um, oh, now I'm afraid also just... a country club Republican. <laughs> there we go. But let me just start out by, by your introducing this idea of what is this alt-right? I had never heard of it until now. Well, you know, Chuck, there's always been uh, what we call com, which is my website, a dissident right. There's always been people in opposition to uh, to, the, to, the, to the Republican establishment. And that goes all the way back to Goldwater. And most notably, of course, Pat Buchanan in, in the 90s. But what's different about the alt-right, which is kind of a subset of, uh, of this phenomenon of uh, people being opposed to uh, the Republican establishment, is, is that it's predominantly a, a, a movement of very young people. Uh, they use, you know, quite astonishing techniques. It's certainly astonishing to me as a long-time print journalist and so on. You know, it's a heavily Internet-based movement. Uh, they use memes, memes and Twitter and all, all these things, which I have a lot of trouble getting my head around. And uh, they, they've, uh, and it has a different tone. It's very much a young man's movement. It's extremely, uh, you know, harsh humor and, uh, and uh, extremely politically incorrect. It takes, it takes joy in being politically incorrect. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I run my website, vdare.com, is focused entirely on the immigration issue. It's a forum site. We'll take people from any part of the political spectrum if they, if they have something critical to say about what we regard as the post 1965 immigration disaster. So I have a number of people on my side, writers, who are actually really prominent alt right writers James Kirkpatrick, uh, uh, Washington Watch, um, Alexander Hart, and so on. And so that's why I uh, read that it's often viewed as an alt right site. One, it's in opposition to the, to the Republican establishment, the conservative establishment. And two, it's, um, it, it features a lot, a lot of these younger people. And three, I guess, you know, the immigration issue itself uh, is very central to the whole alt-right phenomenon. They're very much uh, aware of the, of the demographic displacement that's going on through public policy at the moment, and, of course, will be enormously increased if, uh, if Hillary, Hillary is actually elected. Now, what, what, what is, uh, to get, just to give some historic context here, you made reference to the... Um, Immigration disaster of 1965, which I think was Ted Kennedy's immigration reform. What exactly? I've heard that made referred to occasionally. What exactly happened there? What was in that that uh, that changed the way we um, we, we uh, our immigration policy in the United States? Well, you know, uh, in 1965, there's been a, a period of, uh, in U.S. history of over 40 years when there was very little immigration. Uh, in fact, in the 40s, there was actually neg- net negative immigration. That's because immigration was cut off. There was a great surge of immigration in the 1880s through the 1920s, and then it was cut off. So, it, it, and, and by and large, Americans were very happy with that. What Kerry said he was going to do was, was, slow, was make very minor changes to, 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 to become, because the, 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 the legislation in the 20s was based on national origins. It, it, it tried to have people coming in uh, to the extent that it did come in, who were the same sorts of people who come into the U.S. in the past. And he said this was discrimination because, of course, you couldn't come in from Asia or Africa, places which had made, made no historic contribution to the U.S. And so he was going to make slight changes to allow these people to, um, to come in. But, in fact, what the bill did was, in small numbers, 
And he specifically said that this bill will not, uh, we won't have a million immigrants a year, and we will not be shifting the ethnic balance of the country. But of course, all this actually happened. Uh, the bill, the bill, whether either deliberately or accidentally, triggered an enormous flood of, uh, of legal immigration from not complete, uh, while choking it off from, from traditional areas uh, that, from which American immigrants had come, for example, most of Europe. European immigration, and for that matter, Canadian immigration, was dramatically reduced. And, uh, and immigration began from completely new areas of the world. And essentially, uh, the Hispanic minority in the U.S. has been essentially developed by public policy since 1965, for example. Uh, but mm-hmm. the funny thing was, at the same time, at the same time, uh, the executive branch simply stopped enforcing the law against legal immigration. And that, that mm-hmm. triggered... A great surge, uh, uh, sorry, against illegal immigration. And that triggered a great surge yep. of illegal immigration. Uh, so the two are perceived in parallel. And the result is that uh, whereas America was 90% white in 1960, it's now below 70% white. And whites will go into a minority somewhere in the next 15 years. And that's entirely result of public policy. It's, you know, to quote the famous, famous saying, the government is dissolving the people and electing a new one. And the alt-right doesn't like it. Well... When President Obama was in um, attending the Asian summit, he actually said in the speech that America would be a majority non-white country um, in the next, I think, maybe 15 years or so. Um, Somewhere about 24. From my, per- so a major- a majority from my perspective, the- right, but, but from my perspective, I mean, I don't know if I have a problem with that on the surface. I'm more interested in whether or not the new immigrants are properly assimilating into American culture, whether or not they arrive here with the economic means to not become dependent on welfare. You know, in the 1940s, for example, you said there was practically no immigration, and yet the Roosevelt administration denied the opportunity for Jews to immigrate to the United States from Nazi Germany, and that these were people, in, including my own heritage, who were able economically to support themselves, or they had people who sponsored them, who were willing to take responsibility for them for a number of years so that they would not become uh, burdens on the state. They were you know, yes. self-sufficient, and that they were wanting very much to to assimilate into American culture. It wasn't in any way, there was nothing about them. It's not similar to some of the more recent Islamic immigrants who have a separatist tendency. Rather than assimilating into American culture, they want American culture to conform to them. Um, so I'm not sure, all, all for me, that, it's not really that, a matter of being against immigration. It's more whether or not the immigrant groups are assimilating, whether they're contributing, and whether or not they are financially self-sufficient well uh, you know all of that was changed by the 65 act uh, the, uh, for the first time in American history because of the way the act worked uh, the, the immigrant inflow was on average less skilled than the Americans the American host population typically throughout most of American history immigrants have been more skilled but these were less skilled and they also are massively into uh, uh, public, uh, they're massively public charge, they're heavily into transfer payments of all types. Milton Friedman once said to me, I used to interview him every year at one point for Forbes magazine, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, you know, you can have mass immigration and you can have a welfare state, but you can't have both together. 
because of what's happened with the welfare state, and it's not just welfare, by the way, it's transfer payments of all types, including public education. Hmm. Um, they, they, uh, in the, between 18, in the 1880s through 1920s, if they failed in the workforce, they would typically go home. And, and in fact, uh, you know, net immigration was only a fraction of gross immigration in those days because vast numbers of people did go home, particularly some groups as, some groups as high as 90%. Italians, a very large number of Italians ultimately ended up going home. But, uh, but that's not the case now because if people fail in the workforce, they can stay on welfare. They can stay on exactly. And also the children. Me, that's the children. The, the other thing that, that people don't realize is, is, you know, they often say, well, illegal immigrants can't, illegal immigrants can't get welfare. The answer is that their American-born children get welfare and the parents get to spend it for them. So every incentive to stay is completely, the incentives in the immigration system are, are, are extremely perverse and it's producing, you know, more dependent populations. And the Democrats love this because one marked thing about the uh, 65 Immigration Act is that it is importing Democrats at a very fast rate. They, they, these are the new groups, both overwhelming Democrats. And the Democrats o- openly say that they intend to go on with this immigration policy until they've achieved a permanent majority. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you know, the thing that really, you know, gets me hot under the collar on the issue is the fact that part of the new immigration policy got rid of the charge system. It got rid of this idea that um, a person would have to demonstrate if they wanted to become an American citizen that they would That's not right. be a burden on the state, that they actually had sponsors. And then I think that right. it, that system was much more humane to the, certainly to the taxpayer and that it also required the citizen, the new citizen, to show some kind of responsibility that should be part of any citizenship to this country instead of becoming a part of the um, of the welfare system, which to my way of thinking is it's just inexplicable to me how how anyone could support that, why a working person in this country should hand over a portion of their hard-earned money that would otherwise go to their family to support someone who is a foreigner coming into this country just because they're here, because they want it. Right. It's not, we're not I mean, talking the about thing is able-bodied people. Be- the amazing thing is that a lot of these public charge laws are still on the books. They've just, they just ceased simply, the executive branch simply ceased to enforce them. Uh, you're quite right. It absolutely enrages people when they realize what's happening. And that's why the Democrats and the left in general are so eager to just keep constantly yelling racist, 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 because they know that if people realize what's happening to them, they become incredibly angry. And, of course, that's really what's fueled Trump. He, 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 he picked up this issue uh, where, where none of the professional politicians would pick it up. Well, the, the, this election, I mean, Donald Trump is bringing up issues that I never thought I'd see brought up by a major candidate in my lifetime. And those right. issues, I think the thing that, that is particularly galling to the establishment, both the Democrats and the uh, Republican establishment, is the fact that he is calling for a assertion of national sovereignty and all right. of the things that are incumbent on that, including protecting who comes into our national home. You know, just like we as individuals have the natural right to protect who, who determine who comes into our own homes, you know, we, if, if you go into your, my home and I don't want you there, you have to leave. And if you don't leave, that's a crime. You know, it's right. breaking and entering. It's, uh, we right. expect our national government, which represents us, to protect the national home. And it's something that makes such basic common sense, and yet neither party or no major politician 
has had the moral courage or the practical common sense to bring this up until Donald Trump. And that's what is boiling their blood, I think. I agree. They, they Basically, there was a sort of bipartisan globalist consensus, and, uh, and Trump has broken it. Uh, you know, there was a lot of wittering about whether Trump is a conservative or not. But as he said in the debate in New Hampshire, you know, conservatism to him, to him means conserving the country. He's a nationalist. He's an American nationalist. And, of course, exactly. that's, 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 you know, that's, a very, that's apparently a very bad thing to be. I was astonished. It was amazing to watch when he brought up the idea of possibly not you know, having a moratorium on, on Muslim immigration until we figure out what's going on. Uh, people making, I mean, all kinds of Republicans and Democrats were making serious arguments that, well, no, it's in the Constitution that we, can, we, can't, uh, we can't discriminate against uh, any, any, different, any, any religious group. Of course, the Americans have absolute right to, 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 to bar any group that they want from coming to Congress. There's nothing in the Constitution about that. Not only do we have a right to do it, but it's... I mean, not only do we have a right to do it, but it's actually been an assumed power of the executive to do it. Going all the way back to, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter did it. I mean, you know, this goes back. I mean, it goes back to Truman. It goes back to Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, this isn't anything new. And and the, side the only thing that, that um, the only thing that's in the Constitution bearing on immigration is that the the, 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 the Washington is supposed to protect the several states against invasion. And actually, right. uh, California at one point sued the federal government because it said the federal government was not was not enforcing the law of the border. Uh, but the ju- judges threw it out, of course, because they didn't want you know you can't rely on judge- judges to uh, to get in- to to right. to, uh, to, to, to uphold the law anymore in this country. Uh, the, right, and more recently, yeah, and more recently, Arizona basically reasserted national law, not made law, but they simply said we're going to enforce the national law with regard right. to immigration by insisting that um, immigrants have have identification on them. And that was turned into like it was like they were being like Nazis or something, when in fact right. it's been the law of the land going all the way back. I think to the Nazis, the immigrants they have to have identification. There's nothing yes, new. Yes, that's right. When I when it's, I first came here, we, we we were supposed to have our green card with us at all times, and that was unilaterally right. dropped by the by the Carter administration. Uh, which I just mm-hmm. we just suddenly stopped getting these. You used to have to register every year. And uh, and he used to get postcards reminding you to register, and uh, and and they suddenly stopped, and they joined the joined the car two years. Right. Oh, okay. So then already it was the, the whole system was being weakened, even then. And then of course in the 1990s, the uh, Congressman Barney Frank got through Congress several new laws that uh, forbid the government from from even you know looking into someone's terrorist background if yeah, they came into the yeah. United States. I mean. I mean, the, yeah, the, 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 the these so-called Frank amendments. The hypocrisy of, of the Obama administration's attack on Arizona is shown by there's several hundred so-called sanctuary cities in this country where, where the local government is directed not to cooperate with the, with the immigration authorities. Uh, the most famous case in this campaign is in California where that poor girl, Case Stanley, was killed by somebody, who, mm-hmm. an Im- illegal immigrant, who had been deported several times. And he'd gone to San Francisco specifically because he knew he wouldn't be asked about his legal status if he committed a crime. Uh, uh, now, that's clearly in violation of federal law, but they've made no attempt to suppress it. They're not suing San Francisco or any of these sanctuary cities. And the reason is that the Democrats openly want to, to elect new people here. They want to have as many third-world immigrants as possible because they're convinced they will vote Democratic. 
I mean, what's it's it really just comes in? down to it, it comes down to just their power. They're not interested in the actual welfare of our nation, of our labor, for that matter. Yeah. I mean, what about American labor? You know, American labor right. unions have worked for centuries trying to improve the conditions of American workers. That's all out the window. I mean, even Bernie right. Sanders, who was a virtual communist, understood this. And he opposed yeah. open borders for that reason. I mean, this Very is a brief. basic, it's a basic any of any that. sovereign nation. It. And of course, traditionally, the labor unions opposed it, and the labor unions were instrumental in, in orchestrating the last big cut-off in the 1920s. But the problem now is that, first of all, the American labor movement is in terrible shape, and most, most of the most powerful unions are pub, public employee unions. And they tend to be very, very left-wing, and they're interested in, in, they're interested in the expansion of government. So they see, they see illegal aliens as clients rather, rather, rather than the problem, rather, rather mm-hmm. than the threat. And the second problem, you know, is that these, uh, these labor unions, they're basically run by full-time leftist bureaucrats who really have nothing in common with the actual, uh, the actual uh, you know, members. I would say the same is true, right. by the way, about the environmentalist organizations. I mean, at vdare.com, we get email all the time from people saying, you know, how what's the point of having environmental regulations if we're going to drive the population up by another 100 million by 2050? There simply isn't going to be the pressure on the environment is due to population growth, and population growth is due to immigration. But the, the, uh, the, the leadership of, of the environmentalist organizations simply will not address the question. In fact, they fought very hard to and The Sierra Club has a, has a balloting system, and they fought very hard to suppress uh, an insurgency a few years ago where people were trying to get the Sierra Club to go back to its original position to, uh, to immigration. It turned out that they had, the Sierra Club had a major donor who threatened to withdraw his donation if, uh, if mm. the Sierra Club came out against immigration. Grassroots environmentalists, so to speak, they're, they're, they're acutely aware of the problem of immigration, but they, the labor, the big bureaucrats who want, run these uh, uh, environmentalist organizations don't want to know about it. Well, you know, it's all follow the money. I mean, these groups are willing to sell out, you know, labor unions are selling out the interests of workers. Environmental groups are selling out the environment. Women's groups, you know, yes. sell out women and, you know, when they, I, I, when they and, say and nothing Coulter, about. Right. And Coulter yeah. made a very interesting point about Trump and his, and his rivals in the, in the, in the, in the primaries. She, she said that, uh, uh, you know, some of them showed signs of wanting to, wanting to, um, compete with, with on the uh, illegal immigration issue. For example, Scott Walker from Wisconsin actually said he agreed with mm-hmm. Trump about how there shouldn't be birthright citizenship. At the moment, an illegal alien comes in as a child, that child is technically an American citizen. And that makes them, as a practical matter, very difficult to uh, deport. And most common law jurisdictions have changed their law because of, because, they, because of this problem. Anyway, Scott Walker said he was in favor of it, and then he suddenly announced he, he changed his mind again. He'd gone back to being against but any, any attempt to deal with birth licensure because he had a major donor in Wisconsin who was who apparently um, you know, completely boneheaded on this issue. And, and he's one of these very wealthy people who have lots of cheap labor. You know, so, so, so you know, he, one of, he, that's one of the people, amazing he, things The donors about... would not let. The donors wouldn't let the other yeah. candidates respond to Trump. He had this issue all to himself. I mean, that's one of the amazing things about Trump. He's not beholden to these donors because he's self-financed. They can't control yes. him. And I think it's just, it's absolutely driving them nuts. And I mean, the irony is I keep getting these emails from this group that wants to end Citizens United. And they're just viciously attacking Trump. 
when he's the only one that isn't taking donations from, from multinational corporations. And whereas Hillary is a creature of that. I mean, she is Wall Street. Right. That's right. I mean, the, the Trump is revolutionary in other ways as well, Chuck, as you know, which is that he's running a very, very cheap campaign here. I mean, you know, of course, you think about it, Bush and, and, uh, and uh, Rubio and Cruz all spent over $100 million in the primary, all of them. And uh, tr- Trump spent about $30 million. The reason he was oh, able sure. to do that is he, he had ideas. They don't have ideas. They just have, they just have uh, you know, television ads. Oh, I know it. I mean, he speaks plainly. You know, he actually has, they say now, well, he's not being consistent. His, he's been extremely consistent by political standards. Where is he standing up for America first? And the other right. thing is that he doesn't speak with this phony British accent. <laughs> I mean, you know, like the, right, you know, right, with these right. guys, you know, with their, with their their sophistries and their indirections and their euphemisms and their, you know, right. their Trump speaks plain American. He just lays he's it out. He's an figure, Trump. He's a he's a really interesting figure because what he really is is a blue collar billionaire. And if you look at his background, yeah. you see everybody thinks he's a New Yorker and Ted Cruz attacks him for, for having New York vows and so on. But he, I, I don't know how well you know New York. Uh, Chuck, but he's he's from the outer oh, yeah, boroughs. Sure. You know, he's he's not from Manhattan. Yeah, he's from these yeah, outer exactly. boroughs, Queens and, and Brooklyn and so on. Uh, and uh, where, where the, it's, it's Archie Bunker land, and that's that's that's, yeah, that's, that's how he sure. behaves. And that's oh, why, absolutely. Frank, I mean, he's street smart, and and he knows how to. He doesn't need to. He's not beholden to to any of these people, and he's. Uh, it means it's really a force of nature. I mean, I never thought I'd see anything quite like this. To me, it'll be a miracle if he wins because the the, the array of the people that are arrayed against him are the international establishment, you know, Eastern Seaboard types, and they don't take prisoners. I mean, it's just a it's it's an extraordinary thing to see. And uh, yeah, again, the, I mean, the main the most amazing, crux of his message I, I, is national sovereignty. Right. And of course, yes. that's also, of course, why why is resonating internationally because you know if you have that, you have very very similar problems throughout the first world, and that's of course why they were so upset when the British budget to leave the European Union. That's not at all. Oh yes, people of Davos. And you know that that and, could happen here because the the Brexit was predicted right up to the final day as being something that was just a bunch of cranks and a bunch of racists. Nobody's going to do this, and yet they woke up the next morning, and it was ha- and it happened. I mean, that's, no, that's, I see that yeah. as as the same dynamic at play here. In fact, Nigel Farage was here speaking for Trump right. in Texas. So, and, and right. he's an interesting figure. He left the the minute it passed, he retired. He said, "I've done my thing. I'm not going to take take any abuse. I've done it, and I and I'm moving on." I mean, it's it's really it comes down to that. You need one or two people who are willing to step into the breach and go up on the bat and take a swing. And, uh, you know, Farage actually said... Farage, I know it's like it. Farage said an interesting thing when he spoke for Trump. He said, you know, he didn't want to get involved in American political campaigns. But on the other hand, Obama came along and got along involved in the Brexit vote. He went to Britain and made a speech mm-hmm. saying that, that you know, Britain would go to the back, back of the queue if, 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 if Britain voted to leave the European Union. So, you know, from Farage's point of view, turn around is fair play, you know. I mean, that's why he's allowed to come and, uh, and say what he thinks about American elections. Uh, and that speaks to the sort of globalist consensus, you know. Why would the American president go over to Britain and tell them not to leave the European Union? 
course, that you know, even if it was it got to do with the Americans, even if it was a, even if it was a reasonable uh, point of view, which it wasn't. But the, but the oh, kind I mean, of people of who. And, were, and, not only that, but Obama went to went to Britain, and he was extremely insulting toward uh, toward people who wanted to exit the union. He was de- he was meddling in the internal affairs of a foreign country. Tried to do the same thing in the state of Israel, by the way. I mean, actual well, monies well, went yeah. in to try to defeat Netanyahu and um, and help their guy. And you know, they, they brought those the, the, the Labor Party over to the United States, and they were training them. In political tactics. I mean, this is right, you know, right. this is how the globalists are working here. They don't like to see a leader who asserts the interests of his own nation as a foremost factor. So right. we really have that, a situation. Yeah. Trump, Trump seems to have quite a lot of support in Israel, and I saw a report in the New York Times. Oh yeah. Today. Oh, it was horrified to sure. find that they'd gone they'd gone out to Brighton Beach. And they've gone to these various retirement homes or somewhere. There are a lot of Russian Jews, Jews who come over from Russia, and therefore tremendously favoured Trump. You know, which oh is not yeah, all I mean, the he's going to peel off. It's amazing. I think he's going to peel off a couple of percentages of my fellow Jews, even though most of them are, the, are just brain dead. I mean, they have no idea what. I mean, they, they've been voting for <laughs> Democrats since Roosevelt, and they don't think about it. They just sort of. It's a cultural thing. I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm speaking here of people in my own family. It's just right, you know right. they're not they're not conscious, you know they're not they're not aware aware of what they're doing or what they're saying. It's all just like they're defending some kind of a status quo that make gives them this vague sense of comfort when they're not taking a look at the greater consequences and the fact that um, you know elections and governments are are dynamic forces. They're not static. You know there are yes. things that and and they do have an impact on our society and our culture. So. Of course, it's, it's particularly interesting because uh, Trump, you know, as you know, his daughter, his daughter is Jewish and she's Orthodox, I believe. She converted. Yeah, and his she chief is. Speech writer yeah. on, and his chief speechwriter on the immigration issue, Steve Miller, who used to work for Santa Sessions, is, is Jewish. So, but but it mm-hmm. still doesn't seem to be doing him. It doesn't seem to reassure, be reassuring anybody. But you know, well, you know something, as I said, I think he's going to peel off the Jewish vote. I think. I think he's going to get I some mean, here, here a black a, vote. Here you have a, a Republican presidential candidate giving that acceptance speech at the, 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 the nominate, nominating convention in which he taxed big business. <laughs> now, when, when have you ever heard of that before? It was extraordinary. I, mean, I have never heard an acceptance speech like it. It was, he doesn't give a damn what anyone thinks of him. He doesn't care, Democrat, Republican. He's, it's very American. He speaks yes, his mind. Yes. He's not beholden to anyone. He said things that were extremely controversial by today's standards, but shouldn't be. You know, these are things that are, should be seen as normal by most people. You and I would be in that crowd. Uh, you know, like, like let's assert our, our what's best for our country first. I mean, how shocking right, is that? He gave this wonderful speech mm-hmm. on immigration uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and he said, you know, the principle of immigration policy should be, does it benefit Americans? And this apparently is, is controversial. Oh, my. Course, I mean, that's what, it, it's it, self-evident. Any normal person is self-evident. Exactly. It is self-evident. And it's, it's common sense and it's humane. I mean, people need to realize that, that national sovereignty is a progressive idea. 
It's something that didn't just happen overnight. It's evolved over over millennia. This idea that right. if people can assert their rights within their borders and have a certain amount of control over their own lives and their own destinies as a people. I mean, these are not things that just uh, you know appear out of nowhere. No. They have to be reasserted every generation. Every every think, election yeah, yeah. should be an honest and vigorous rendering of what is the state of our national right. sovereignty. I think national sovereignty of the nation state, you know, they're as fundamental to democracy as uh, as property rights are to uh, to a functioning free market. If you don't have uh, clearly delineated, uh, you know, distinctions, and you, some people some people are member of the of the nation state and other people aren't, and the people are get to vote, and the people aren't don't get to vote. And, and the, you can choose who you're going to let in and all that kind of thing. If you don't have that, you don't have a functioning democracy. But, of course, the fact is the way politics are moving right now, the professional politicians don't want a functioning democracy. They're just part of the, the big managerial state. They all get together and, and, and directly decide what they want to do, and then they do it, regardless of what uh, the people as a whole want. Well, I mean, that's been a movement going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, there's, uh, you know, this is what the communist movement was about. This is what the Nazi movement was about. This idea of like kind of a, turning the world into like a, a one-world ad colony, you know, where everything um, kind of operates uh, in tune with nature or whatever that is, as opposed to uh, you know democratic uh, approach. You know, where government is basically a reflection of our values um, locally, and and that. Uh, you know, it, it leaves us to be, uh, you know, to create our own personal land colonies. <laughs> you know, it's right. not like a, we're not we're not all fused at the at the hip. And uh, you know, this is something that um, is completely contradicting the establishment. But they've had such an ability to to control the public argument. They've had such a uh, you know that, that uh, I mean, they didn't expect somebody like Trump to come along. I mean, I, I didn't either. No. I mean, we, oh, we would actually think, step up and say no. I think that's why this whole mm-hmm. all right phenomenon is so interesting, because uh, it's something that's come into existence outside of the mainstream media. I mean, it's deliberately opposed to mainstream media. It depends on social media and websites like pdare.com and, and things which are just not controlled by the establishment. The media's lost its gatekeeping function. You know, ideas are, ideas are spreading through the population, which they've not vetted first. And they, re- they really hate that. But curiously enough, you know, mm-hmm. Chuck, their response is simply to get more hysterical. I mean, I've, I've never seen partisan coverage of a presidential candidate uh, like, um, like, this, like this. I mean, the, 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 the mainstream media is openly adversarial to Trump. Uh, and I've never seen that. There was, it was somewhat similar in the Goldwater, in the Goldwater campaign, but never on this scale. Mm. Oh, I agree. Okay, my guest is Peter Brimelow, the, uh, he's the editor of Be There. He's a uh, major uh, conservative intellectual. He's the author of many books available at Amazon.com. Put his name in the server, and up they come. Peter, the uh, you know I I agree. I've never seen anything like the media. I listen to uh, the usual suspects, MSNBC in particular. I mean, they're openly, unabashedly, you know, trying to stop and destroy Trump, and they'll tell you that, and they're willing to lie to a degree that I've never seen. I mean, they always lie. That's what the left always has to lie. They, you know, otherwise, their whole structure is going to disintegrate. And they do so almost... Uh, I don't even know if they're even conscious of the fact that they lie. They can tell two completely opposite ideas in the same sentence if they're skillful at it. 
But the lying in this case is so blatant, and it's like you just you can't. I can't believe it. I mean, the the lies by omission, you know, and and outright lies about Trump. And of course, the main theme, and the one that I think is their main approach, and they'll admit this, and they said it early on, is to try to claim that Donald Trump has something against black men and women. He has something against people based on their ethnicity. And they, 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 they've set this up. They'll bring out these quotes out of context, and they'll say, you see, this right. is evidence that he doesn't like black people, when it's obviously a big lie. I mean, anyone who knows anything about Trump knows that he doesn't care about someone's ethnic. I've never seen anyone who's less concerned with, with race right, or ethnic right. background. He's interested in success. He promotes people based upon how good they are. And, he's, and, and that includes men and women. I mean, he doesn't care if it's a woman. He wants to have people who are achievers. He wants to be around people who are, you know, who reflect his value of trying to strive to be better. Not, he doesn't care about their, their situation of birth. I mean, this is a lie. I mean, this whole well, idea. You see, part of and problem, yet part they of are problem. inculcating it. Yeah, yeah, I think part of the problem the Democrats have got is that they're holding together a very diverse coalition. You know, blacks, Hispanics, to certain extent Asians, left liberal, liberal whites, and so on, who, who actually don't have all that much in common, don't really get on all that well. And the only way they can, uh, as you can see by, you know, there's constant stories of school, schoolyard uh, brawls and so on in, in, in between Hispanics and blacks in, in California. And there's hundreds of these stories. Well, the only way they can hold them together is by whipping them up into a frenzy of excitement and, and denouncing uh, basically white Americans as being racist. Uh, it's, um, you know, they've got to keep them at a high level of, of, of excitement and hysteria. And that's what explains, I think, the, you know, the extraordinary, uh, this extraordinary phenomenon of these stories like Trayvon Martin and Ferguson and Black Lives Matter and so on, all of which are based on no evidence at all. But nevertheless, um, the mainstream media keep them going because they know they've got to, you know, stir, stir up minority turnout. Uh, I think it's a very conscious thing. They, they, they deliver, and you know, oh, yes. I mean, if, if you look at it's you organized look at hate. About, right, and the curious thing mm-hmm. is, you know, that you can go back into, into the 2012 election. They were saying all this stuff about Romney too. Uh, you know that that oh, yeah. that he, he was the secret white supremacist and so on. That's obviously utterly absurd. The only thing is they're saying it louder with some because they're more frightened of it. Well, I mean, I think with Romney, the main the main area of attack was that he was successful. They didn't like him. We should we should be angry at him because he made money. You know, putting aside the fact that in 2004 John Kerry was three times richer than Romney and he made his money from right, the second right. wife's first husband's trust fund. You know, Romney earned it the old-fashioned way, but we're to view this as bad. And they were successful at that. People sat around the kitchen table, and they they were stirred up, like, oh, look at how rich he is. He has more than I have. I'm jealous. Therefore, I don't like him, and I'm mad at him. You know, it's kind of like organized, you know, resentment and and envy. In the case of Trump, they're trying to do it by saying that he's, uh, he's against various ethnic groups, which not only galvanizes the support of those ethnic groups out of emotion, but also, you know, generates big support among the liberal core who actually do believe that conservatives or anyone who doesn't genuflect to the left is racist. I mean, they actually yeah, they believe do. this. I've seen it. Yeah, they do, they, they do believe that. That's right. They do believe that. 
But you know, the story of the of the Romney election really was, you know, he didn't do Romney got he didn't clear what his they didn't do exit polls in some of the key states, but he seems to have gotten around fifty seven fifty eight percent of the white vote. But white turnout was sharply down. And why it turned out it was down the previous election when when McCain ran. I mean, the, the Republicans are not mobilizing their white base, and and what Trump is doing, of course, is he's getting white voters to, to, to the polls who haven't voted for twenty years. You know, the the, the, so the Reagan Democrats. Uh, the problem, oh, absolutely. Is that he, also has, he also has these never Trumpers uh, who are basically Republican operatives. Uh, who who uh, do, I mean, to them, uh, ridiculous. Trump is. A, Trump is the spectre of death itself, of course, because uh, all their jobs and everything depend on being able to control the Republican Party. And so that's why you get National Review in this extremely hysterical mode against him. Oh, yeah. I mean, the never Trumpers are motivated by snobbery. They are used to, they, they have the phony British accent just like the Democrats. Right. You know, right, they travel right. in, in the fancy boardrooms and the parties and the cocktail parties. They don't want to be. Um, you know, they like to see their name in the paper. They don't want to be right. insulted. You know, these are people who want to be liked. They're, yeah. You know, to we call them conservatives. Conservatives takes, yeah. You know, you know uh, to stick up for Trump takes, a, it takes social risks. Exactly, exactly. And that's a very big problem for them inside the bill and so on. Somebody said once that every great movement starts as a cause and becomes a business and ends up being a racket. I'm afraid that's true for the American conservative movement, mm. you know, uh, which, which I've been involved with since... Since 1972, I worked for John Ashbrook, Ash, not Ashcroft, Ashbrook against Richard Nixon. Ashbrook, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I got so I, you see how old I, you see how old I am. Um, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it was a great thing, and it, and it did great things. And I, 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 I think the, the election of Ronald Reagan. Uh, I'm not one of these people who think he didn't do everything. I think he did some wonderful things. But you know, that he was did. then, and this is now. We, we have a new whole new range of problems now. Exactly. I mean, Trump is, is dealing with the, the issues of today. Reagan dealt quite vigorously with the issues of his time, and we should remember how much he was despised and how much he was vilified by the yes. establishment and, and how only after, I, I mean, I remember only after he had uh, Alzheimer's disease did they talk about how great he no. was, you know, because he was no longer a threat. I mean, there were, so there was it, a huge it's the same factor. Yeah, if, you, if you remember... Uh, John Anderson, who was a liberal Republican, actually ran against yes. Reagan in 1980 and got, and got over five percent of the vote. I mean, there was a lot of resistance on in the, 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 the in the Republican establishment to, to Reagan. Uh, very, very serious resistance. They were very upset by him. this idea that he was great. Oh, yeah. in so that's that's only happened since since basically since he left office. You know, the, 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 he seems much better yeah. to them in retrospect than he did in prospect. No, I absolutely, and I think that. Um, I mean, who knows? We can't know what's going to happen. It'll still be a miracle. But I do think there's evidence that um, Trump is galvanizing his vote. They show that Republican registration in the swing states is up, whereas Democrats are flat. Um, And that's mostly white middle class. But I also think that he is going to peel off a percentage of the the black vote, of the Hispanic vote, of the Jewish vote. Of um, of the ethnic vote, I I really believe that, and I've seen it. It maybe my evidence is anecdotal, but it's out there. It's rumbling in the corners because they also want to assert national sovereignty. I mean, we have the situation. Obama has brought in uh, ten thousand Syrian refugees, and Hillary is going to be uh, has openly stated that she wants to bring in a half a million. Now, right. you know, right. I'm sorry, but this 
you know, there's a war going on right now. I mean, it was just two days ago that a, a woman in a burqa blew herself up in Turkey, killing 27 people. Now, if people don't right. think that can happen here, they've got to have their head examined. Well, of course, it has happened here. I mean, look at the killing in San, San Bernardino, or for that matter, in, exactly. in, in Florida this, this last summer. It's quite astonishing how... Uh, the mainstream media has the ability to just sort of, sort of put those things down the memory hole. You just never hear it referred to anymore. You know, it's just as if it had never happened. But it couldn't be more devastating to their to their case. I think really what what needs to happen and what people haven't been looking at sufficiently is uh, Hillary is, is, is saying that um, and she's moved very far to left on immigration. She says that she's going to get what they call comprehensive immigration reform, which is of course just amnesty plus an immigration surge through in the first in the first hundred days of her, her administration. I mean the, the political elite's been trying to get this amnesty through for 15 years, and it's been stopped repeatedly mm-hmm. by just a, just massive grassroots opposition. And uh, that's what's, you know, if this becomes a refer- if this election becomes a referendum on amnesty, uh, Hillary's going to lose overwhelmingly. No, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's you know, they're playing the same old playbook. It's, uh, it's like they're stuck in it. And uh, it's, I don't think they know quite what else to do. Maybe it'll work for them. I mean, they certainly, she certainly has the big money behind her. She's got Wall Street. Right. She's got George Soros. She's even got the Koch brothers, apparently. I mean, this is, uh, you know, they're, they're all, like, trying to get, pull her over the finish line, even if she's, uh, you know, practically in, in a coma, they don't care. They want to pull her over the finish line, and they're going to do whatever they need to do to do that. I just think that Donald Trump is going to watch his back. You mean literally or metaphorically? No. Peter, uh, let me know where people can read your articles and get your books. Well, the site is called vdare.com. It's named after Virginia Dare, who was the first English child born in the New World. She was born in the Lost Colony in, in, on Roanoke Island in, in uh, 1587. So it's vdare.com. And uh, I have a, I have a, I have a book on very different subjects, uh, uh, Chuck. You know, I have a book on, on, uh, on Canadian politics and, and on, uh, on, on education economics and that kind of thing. But my, the main book I did was called uh, Alien Nation. And, and it came out in 1995, and it's, we've just made it available as a Kindle. And it's really quite parallel to Anne Coulter's wonderful book, Adios America, which I think very highly of. But it comes to exactly the same conclusions. It's just that it's 20 years later now, and the situation has gotten a lot worse. Well, you know, you, you unabashedly and openly promote American culture and, uh, you know, sort of Judeo-Christian values, Western culture. Right. Um, I'm not sure I agree with 100 percent of it, but you know you, you're, you're on the money on, on the. But on most as of I say, you know, about we, we run we run there as a forum site. You know, I, I don't regard mm-hmm. it as a conservative site, and it's certainly not a white nationalist site. I have people on the side writing for me of all political persuasions who are concerned about immigration. And immigration, the concern about immigration does go across the political spectrum. You can find Democrats who are worried about it. I have Democratic writers. It's just that they can't speak up. Because the discipline in that community is so intense, you know, they've really got to toe the line. As Sanders himself found mm-hmm. when, he, when he said, you know, uh, open borders are Koch brothers' policy. 
he was immediately packed by all kinds of left-wing, left-wing uh, newspapers for saying, for saying that. And he, and he told the line. He told the line. He, he went back to say he was in favour of amnesty and so on. So, uh, you know, I have people from all, right across the spectrum, and they do disagree with each other. It's like herding cats, actually. That's why we only write on the immigration issue, uh, because I have people in favour of abortion, people against abortion. I have people who are in favour of the wars in the Middle East, people against the wars in the Middle East. But they're all concerned about immigration, and that's the common threat. Well, you know, Peter, that's it's in a way what you're describing is typical of conservatives and libertarians and, and people generally who are not on the left, and that is that we generally have diversity of opinion as opposed to the left, which is very uniform. It's very lockstep. I mean, it's all a matter of you know, disagreements have to do with how fast we should move towards socialism, and uh, and it's more it's, like it's personality, emotional, it's not ideological. And yeah, intense, totally. they're, they're intensely emotional, the left. I mean, they're, they're, they really do have emoting minds. But I, think the, I think the right is rational. You know, you can, you can read I agree. Them. Oh, totally. Yeah. Anyway, Peter, listen, I want to thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. A really interesting talk. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Keep in touch. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot, Peter. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. So, all right. Bye-bye. All right, so Peter Brimelow um, has been my guest here. He's the editor of The Dare, um, America's foremost authority on the issue of immigration, often referred to as a major leader of the alt-right movement, which is uh, basically a younger conservative and libertarian groups. I think that uh, Andrew Breitbart comes to mind, who is a great um, rhetorician. I would say that Ann Coulter is in that camp as well. In a sense, they are doing what... um, the left always does, and which conservatives have never been allowed to do, which is satire, you know, which is uh, they, they like to mock and they like to scorn, like what you see on the left, I mean, um, you know, in all those talk shows at night. I mean, those are, I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, John Stewart comes to mind, you know. That standard, oh, they think that's funny. But when a conservative does it or someone who's not on the left does it, they, it's they're all right, you know. They must... Um, have something against someone based on, on their ethnicity or, or they, they throw out these kinds of charges. And I think Peter Brimelow makes the point quite well that, generally speaking, people that are not on the left are very much free thinkers. They're seekers of truth. They are very diverse in the real sense of their beliefs, their ideology. But they hold certain truths, as, as Jefferson might have said, self-evident. And those include the right to... Uh, to freedom, the right to national sovereignty, the right to control our own lives and our own destinies so that we can disagree. And the best means to do that is a system of nation states and law and order and uh, moral values that are uh, immutable and that are outside of the ability of powerful people to manipulate. Anyway, um, I also want to take a brief moment to mention my books. Why not? This is my show, What the Heck? My books are available at Amazon, Amazon Kindle. Just put my name in the server, Chuck Morse, M-O-R-S-E, like Morse code, and you shall see them all come up. My latest book is Communism is Not Dead, uh, The Communist Conspiracy in the 21st Century. Um, I have an article I just submitted to WorldNet Daily that uh, they'll probably publish. They usually publish my articles. I don't write them often, but this one... uh, I, I think was um, sort of a, um, you know, a, a, a revelation to me. I say, 
Black Lives Matter should be protesting the left, <laughs> which, of course, uh, if they really want to get to the the um, the incubus that has hurt the black community uh, over these many decades, they would do just that. So I make that point in my article. And, uh, again, I want to thank you all for listening this afternoon. I want to again thank Peter Brimelow for joining me, editor at the Dare. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a nice day, everybody. Every day, there are so many missed business opportunities. Sorry, left that file on my work computer. So many barriers to working together. Sorry, can't access that file on my phone. But today, Microsoft Office 365 offers lots of new features to help you be productive anywhere. Like editing office files on phones and tablets, easy one-click video conferencing, a free terabyte of secured cloud storage. Sorry, uh, wait, I mean, really? Wow, that, that's awesome. Go to tryofficenow.com to start your free 30-day business trial of Office 365. That's tryofficenow.com. Fashion Emergency Hotline. Help! I got rid of all my clothes. Breathe and explain. During Fashion Week, everyone looked fantastic, so I decided I needed a new wardrobe. Well, strut to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yes, they have gorgeous floral tops and super on-trend pixie pants to turn your sidewalk into a catwalk. And pixie pants are just $25. $25? That's right. Starting tomorrow, all pants and tops at Old Navy are 30 to 50% off. 30 to 50% off? Amazing. Thank you. Don't thank me. Thank Old Navy. Valid 915 to 923. Excludes denim and active pants.